This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I'm going to take you behind the scenes of a television show and a 24-hour period. It's just a wild story that led to Ron DeSantis dropping out of the presidential race yesterday afternoon. Story number one. So I had spent, you know, when you're anchoring a Sunday show, as I do on Fox, Media Buzz, you often got to get involved in the booking. And dealing with the Ron DeSantis campaign was a sort of a special challenge because there was this weird system where some days the campaign would be in charge of the governor's schedule and other days the super PAC would be in charge of the governor's schedule and sometimes you got bounced around. Well, this is, was our day. We thought it was going to be our day, but it's someone else's day. Anyway, after lots and lots of exchanges, which also involved a lot of work for my staff to make sure we had a crew, to make sure we had a director, you know, it's not easy when you uh, have somebody who's not appearing live. The Santa's campaign said yes on Friday would come on the program. And I figured he's doing a couple of other programs as well. It's pretty standard, especially in the days leading up to the New Hampshire primary, which, of course, is tomorrow. So we've got the show's lineup set. And Saturday night, about 6.30, 7 o'clock, I get a call from DeSantis' campaign press secretary. And he's very apologetic. He said, I'm sorry we have to do this, but we have to cancel the interview. And I'm thinking, what? You guys running for president? And at the last minute, you're canceling the interview? I was disappointed. I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask him. And I interviewed the Florida governor three previous times on my program. And he said, well, we're canceling all our Sunday show interviews, which I would learn included NBC's Meet the Press, CNN's State of the Union, and Media Buzz. And then, you know, I thought, well, and the reason given, this is the key, the reason given is the governor's changing his schedule, and tomorrow morning, instead of doing these interviews, he's going to be on a plane, going back to New Hampshire. Now, remember, he was at 5 or 6% in multiple polls in New Hampshire. So I didn't quite get that rationale. But then I thought, look, you know, these campaigns are not run for the benefit of the media. I'm disappointed. It blows things up for me, but that's life at this level. So I thanked him for letting me know, and I said I understood. Little did I know how crucial that would be. Little did I know how much that decision was going to blow up. So I tweeted the governor he canceled on an interview because we had, you know, I, we had touted it. We had uh, advertised it. <laughs> a little later, I look at the uh, headline on Drudge, banner headline, DeSantis doomed. 
because he had canceled these interviews. You know, journalism could be a very uh, self-absorbed profession. And how dare you cancel on the Sunday show interviews? Well, you know, if he wants to shake hands in New Hampshire and maybe try to bump up his finish a couple of points, he has the right to do that. But it just seemed like it took on a life of its own. It just went viral. So for me, it meant that I had a whole long segment that I had to fill. We uh, got our top reporter who is... uh, covering the primary, and and we booked her. So I come in the next day, Sunday morning, yesterday, and find out about two hours before airtime that Brett Baer, the previous night, had gotten a pull-aside interview with Donald Trump. (laughs) A producer asked me, like, do you want it, or should we give it to a later show? Do I want it? Of course I want it. So... We crash on that, waiting to get the sound bites that we can play. And it was revealing. It was about making fun of uh, Nikki Haley's Indian name, Nimarada, and then kind of mangling that. Uh, he also, Brett also talked to the foreign president about the Veep stakes. And um, Trump predicted that DeSantis had no path and would drop out, meaning soon. So I figured out how to make that work. I've canceled the New Hampshire reporter cutting time from other segments so that I could fit a segment with Brett. I mean, one of Trump's answers was over two minutes, but I, I was delighted to have it. And it made a lot of news. So I finish the show at noon Eastern, go home. A couple hours later, here's DeSantis posting a video. He's out of the race. He says, we prayed and deliberated on the decision. The majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. While he has disagreements with the former president, he has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear. Obvious shot in Nikki Haley. These two politicians do not like each other. They've spent a lot of time calling each other liars. And at the same time, then I see an interview uh, with Haley Uh, conducted by CNN's Dana Bash. And Dana asked, you know, will you eventually drop out? And if so, would you endorse Trump? And Haley deflects it and says, I'm going to finish this so Joe Biden and Donald Trump aren't an issue at all. And meanwhile, (laughs) Trump tells some reporter, uh, I'm officially retiring the nickname of the Sanctimonious and honored for the endorsement and so forth. Yeah, now they're pals, right? It's just sort of a window into politics. And I assumed at that point that I had kind of been misled, that it was a head fake, because the reason given was he was going to New Hampshire. He never went to New Hampshire. He stayed in Florida. But after doing some reporting, what I was told was this. Throughout Sunday morning... Ron DeSantis, his family, and his top advisors were wrestling with, were grappling with, is there a path? Do we have any shot at winning this thing? And if not, should we bail out? That's certainly what all the pundits were saying, and most of the pundits. 
Yeah, he finished second in Iowa, but, it, you know, he had to finish second in Iowa. But then they turned on him and said, why, why are you still in the race? It's hard to run a campaign when the first question is always like, are you about to quit? And I'm told that they came to the decision about noon Eastern. And he, DeSantis started calling donors. So that, in other words, uh, it wasn't that I was misled or even that the press secretary was misled. At the time that he told me they were going to New Hampshire, they had every intention of going to New Hampshire. That at least is what my reporting shows. Now, I could fill the next two hours with what went wrong with the DeSantis campaign. But I'll just mention a couple of things. And for me, and I pressed DeSantis on this in a previous Fox interview and he deflected. He stayed in the conservative cocoon for too long. The moment he got in the race, he should have been, well, first of all, he shouldn't have launched on Twitter and that whole screw up, but he should have been doing all the networks, lots of outlets. You can't run for president. It's not like Florida by stiffing or trying to bypass the media. You can spar with the media. You can denounce the media, but ultimately they are an important venue. And the media totally turned on DeSantis, and he couldn't buy a good headline. But that was also because he was dropping and dropping and dropping in the polls. If he had done, I, you know, look, Donald Trump may have been unbeatable. Maybe there was no constituency there. And DeSantis made a lot of other mistakes, uh, spent too much money, kept uh, going through staff, people resigned, people were fired. Could go on and on. But when I asked him about it, he kind of deflected. He said, oh, well, we've been doing that since the summer, but not really. And only in the last month have you seen Ron DeSantis a lot uh, at CNN town halls, uh, on Morning Joe, and making the rounds of more than just Fox and, you know, conservative podcasts. And he finally acknowledged to Hugh Hewitt in a radio interview that he regretted the decision, regretted the decision uh, to hold off on talking to CNN and MSNBC and so forth. For six months, I've been saying this. All my guests disagreed. Oh, you don't understand how it works, Howie. It's, it's too early. People aren't paying attention. No, I do understand how it works. You let the other guy define you, which is what Trump did to DeSantis, and you can't recover from that. And DeSantis was always sort of restrained in his criticism of Trump, a little bit tougher toward the end. Look, the guy worked his butt off. On paper, he was a great candidate. In reality... Not so much. So let's see what um, a few other outlets are saying about this. New York Times, DeSantis offered barely any contrast with Trump on the issues. Trumpism without Trump was supposed to show that Republican voters were ready to move on from Donald Trump personally. That proved to be wrong. And DeSantis's consistently conservative views, he ran to Trump's right, alienated moderates and helped enable the rise of Mickey Haley. Now, Haley, this is a separate uh, time story, feeling the pressure of this now being down to, or was on the verge of, being a two-person race. And she's the only woman left standing. You got to give her credit. I mean, she started low in the polls, not huge name recognition. She had a better strategy to bring her to this point. We'll get into that more in a moment. So she also pulled punches. Lots of, uh, shall we say, uh, very disciplined, very scripted approach. 
But in New Hampshire, you got to run all out. I've covered so many primaries there. She had a light schedule until I think it was Saturday. And she was given the same speech. She wasn't making news. She didn't have anything new to say. Finally, she went after Trump. I mean, she started to call him unhinged. He lies all the time. And we don't need a couple of 80-year-olds. And he's confused. I'll get into more of that in a second. So one Republican activist backing Haley, a guy named Fergus Cullen, former New Hampshire Republican chairman, said he couldn't defend her on social media or push friends and family to vote for her. Too little, too late, he says. She had to inspire and engage unaffiliated voters, and I just haven't seen her doing what she needs to do. Here's my old friend Michelle Cottle, who's on the opinion pages of the New York Times. Watching DeSantis' now famous awkward smile and listening to his unnatural cadence, this is on the video when he dropped out, it was hard not to think, yeah, I can see why this guy's candidacy is deader than disco. I am not being mean here, says Michelle. Okay, I'm being a little bit mean. But in the service of a serious point, DeSantis is a successful governor of a major state, a smart guy with a picture-perfect family. But he's also one of those unfortunate political creatures who do not wear well, whose early promise and poll numbers fade over time. The more people saw him, the less they seemed to like him. On the presidential campaign trail, he was robotic and awkward, rude and arrogant, with the interpersonal skills of a poorly designed AI. He struck people as an all-around odd duck, and not in a good way. National Review. Campaign overspent from the beginning, true. Was never made able to match its arrogance with effectiveness. The campaign basically went broke, and after that, had to rely on the super PAC to run everything, which was also beset by dysfunction and infighting. And his strategy was unworkable. He wanted to establish a beachhead, says the magazine, among soft Trump supporters, give non-Trump voters no choice but to come along too. Trump's grip didn't give DeSantis the space to win those theoretically soft voters, while Nikki Haley took the non-Trump voters. It may have been that straddling these two constituencies was too hard, but DeSantis seemed actively fearful of doing anything to appeal too directly to voters not enamored of Trump. He has at bottom a conviction politician, but he seemed overly calculating. His criticisms of Trump were highly modulated, as he clearly worried about saying the wrong thing, while Trump attacked, mocked, and lied about the sanctimonious. And one other thing that has just popped up more aggressively in recent days, because Joe Biden at 81 makes a lot of mistakes, sometimes seems uh, to make gaffes, which he always has, but obviously it's more noticeable, and, and it's the biggest single problem Joe Biden has is that he can't change his age. I mean, he's got other problems, sure. The border, high among them, maybe number one. But the other day, and this, so there's been a couple of instances where Trump has said when he ran against Obama, when he meant Biden, and then he said, well, no, I did that deliberately. I don't know. But it was a pretty blatant problem when, just the other day, Donald Trump was talking about Nikki Haley and taking some wax at her, and then says, you know, Nikki Haley, you know, she was in charge of security on January 6th. And I offered 10,000 soldiers, and she said no. Well, 
Nikki Haley was not in charge of security. She was not in charge of anything. She wasn't even in government. He confused her with Nancy Pelosi about who he makes this unsubstantiated charge. And because it wasn't just one word, but it was was sort of a buildup to it, this has unleashed particularly Trump's liberal critics to say, you know what? The guy's 77 and he's losing it. He keeps making these mistakes. He keeps getting confused. Now, clearly they're doing this to try to partially neutralize um, Joe Biden's age-related problems. And clearly that's partisan in effort. But at the same time, you know, having known Donald Trump for 35 years, having covered his 2016 campaign, yeah, I think he's always rambled at these rallies. That's part of what makes him entertaining. But then he'll go off and start talking about whales or I don't know. It's just odd. But it's not that. It's the mistake with Nikki Haley. And that prompted her to question his mental fitness. Suddenly, Nikki Haley was saying it, what many had urged her to say, that, that Donald Trump didn't have the full capacity. She just said, well, there's a question about his mental health. But, you know, clearly that was the first time in the entire campaign that somebody like Nikki Haley was taking on the former president. Which brings me to number two. Washington Post poll, just saw this this morning, 52%. Trump, 34% Haley. And DeSantis was in this poll because he hadn't dropped out yet at 8%. There's this one other poll, American Research Group, that for the second time, Haley was only trailing by a, a few points. I'm starting to think that's an outlier just because so many other polls have uh, the former governor trailing by anywhere between 10 and 16 points. And if that's the margin tomorrow, that could be it for her, even though she's vowing to stay on in the state of South Carolina, her home state, her native state, where Trump has, I don't know, like a 30-point lead, much more conservative state than New Hampshire. New Hampshire, she benefits from... uh, independents and former Democrats, if they've already changed the registration, being able to vote in the GOP primary. So Politico says that DeSantis getting out and endorsing Trump makes it harder for Nikki Haley. Mike Dennehy, longtime New Hampshire GOP uh, operative, worked for McCain's two presidential campaigns, both times he won New Hampshire, says DeSantis dropping out virtually eliminates any chance Haley has at keeping Trump under 50%. Oh, here's a different poll. University of New Hampshire, CNN, came out yesterday. 62% of the Santa's supporters would back Trump. Only 30% would break for Haley. And that tells you the story of New Hampshire, especially with the Santa's, you know, kind of taking shots at Haley and endorsing Trump. You know, if two-thirds, roughly, a little less than two-thirds, of people who had been backing Ron DeSantis go with the former president, then Nikki Haley is going to lose by a bigger margin than she would have. But because she's the only person left with a shot, um, we have New York Times digging into her background. When she, she was serving in the South Carolina legislature, She applied for a job in 2006 as an accounting clerk at an outfit called Wilbur Smith Associates, which had state contracts. 
She needed work. Her parents' clothing business, where she and her husband worked, was winding down. Her salary as a part-time legislator, just $22,000. Husband's business was losing money. Wilbur Smith executives regarded Haley as overqualified for the accounting job, but because of her wide-ranging network, they would say they put Haley on a retainer, asking her to scout out potential new business. She never found any. But over the next two years, the firm paid her $48,000. Kind of an ethical gray area. She didn't disclose it until 2010. She pushed for a hospital's top priority while she was on its payroll. This was a blurry line. Was Nikki Haley acting unethically? Maybe, said a chief of staff to former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford. Was she acting unethically according to the jungle rules of South Carolina politics at the time? Not at all. But in fact, as governor, and this was after she made millions in consulting fees, paid speeches, seats on corporate boards. I mean, a lot of foreign politicians do that. As governor, she then passed a law or a rule that prohibited the very thing she did earlier in terms of being a part-time legislator who also, at the same time, was doing work for businesses that dealt with the state, that had state contracts. For example, a $110,000 a year position as a fundraiser for a hospital in the state. Well, this is interesting. Um, She also had previously worked for an outfit called Exotica. And then she applied for a job with this hospital And she listed her salary at the previous employer as $125,000. But tax returns indicate she never earned more than $47,000 a year from this other clothing firm. Uh, I don't know that that's illegal. I think a lot of people do it. You're trying to get a higher salary. She says, oh, yeah, I'll get paid a lot of money. But this is the kind of stuff that comes out when you have the media scrutiny. By the way... And this came out in the Times when CNN cut away from Donald Trump's victory speech. Remember, MSNBC wouldn't carry it at all. Just, you know, the guy's a liar. Why would we waste our time? CNN did it about several minutes into the speech. Jake Tapper cutting away and saying, well, now he's uh, going on about attacking immigrants, illegal migrants. And they got out. The new CEO of CNN, Mark Thompson, a former head of the New York Times company, according to the New York Times, was on a uh, staff call and got into a debate with his own staff saying, I don't think we should have done that. This is a political event. The guy is a leading candidate for president on the GOP side. We should have taken the whole speech or at least more of it. And my view on this is simple. You're going to spend 23 hours a day talking about Donald Trump and often criticizing Donald Trump. Let him have his say. What's going to happen if the voters are exposed to him? And then you can spend the next 23 hours saying, well, he said this and that's not true. That's fine. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Number three, Washington Post has a piece that's kind of interesting, but the headline really oversells it. It's a New Hampshire story about Trump supporters being angry and starting to talk about civil war. So here's the lead. Sel Mize was just starting to walk again after a bad fall, hurt his hip. But Donald Trump was coming to town. He wasn't going to miss it. He got to the country club about 10 in the morning to wait outside in the snow, dressed in shorts. That's what they do in New Hampshire. And Trump didn't speak until 7 p.m., but that shows you the level of dedication. And Mize is quoted as saying, I just hope he gets back to help the country, because right now, the way it's coming, there's probably going to be a civil war. Okay, fair enough. Guys quoted on the record. Researchers at the University of Chicago have found that amid sinking trust in democratic institutions, millions of Americans believe the use of force is justified to prevent Trump's prosecution and return him to the White House. Well, that's pretty radical. So we have a combustible situation, according to other people who are quoted in this piece. Here's another retired federal worker says, you have the power of the federal government coming down on you. You can find stuff on anybody. All these cases are, this is a different guy, like throwing it against the wall and hoping something sticks. As for talk of civil war, Mize says he's just echoing what he hears from many people. Okay, if you're going to put civil war in the headline and you've got a grand total of one, count them one, person talking about civil war and then saying other people are talking about it too, that's not enough. I'm not saying it's not a raw, combustible situation. Donald Trump says there could be bedlam and chaos in his filing with the Supreme Court appealing the decisions by Maine and Colorado to knock him off the ballot. Let's move on to story number four. When she first heard about Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, Morella Monti was appalled. She's a South Carolina real estate agent and tells the Washington Post she hates violence, is horrified by war and human suffering. But as Monty read more in Uncensored Truths, a telegram group with almost 3,000 subscribers, her shock turned to anger. Because this website said, secretly, Israel was behind the massacre by the Hamas terrorists. She now argues that the October 7th attack was a false flag staged by the Israelis, likely with help from the Americans, to justify genocide in Gaza. Pure evil, she says. So look, the Washington Post goes on to say the Hamas terrorist attack, among the most well-documented in history left 1,200 Israelis dead, started this war, but October 7th, denial is spreading. A small but growing group denies the basic facts of the attacks, pushing a spectrum of falsehoods and misleading narratives that minimize the violence or dispute its origins. Some argue the ambush was staged by the Israeli military to justify an invasion of Gaza. Some say the 240 hostages taken by Hamas 
were actually kidnapped by Israel. This makes absolutely no sense. This is crazy town. This is conspiracy theories. I'm surprised that anybody believes this stuff. You can take whatever side you want in the conflict. You can be sympathetic to Hamas, though it's hard for me to understand how. And it's bleeding into the real world. Oh, demonstrators have shouted the claim at anti-Israel protest to justify removing posters of hostages in cities like London and Chicago. At a city council meeting in Oakland, multiple residents disputed the veracity of attack. Here's Christina Gutierrez, an analyst in Oakland's housing department, saying Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. Well, this is clearly the craziest nut job conspiracy theory, but obviously at least some people, maybe a small minority, are buying it. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Number five, I want to take another look at journalism here. So you might remember a weekend MSNBC host named Tiffany Cross, African-American woman who often went on and on about race. And media reports that she went on her podcast and gave her side of the story about why MSNBC uh, canceled her show back in 2022. So Cross claims that the show was abruptly canceled because the network wanted potential employers to see her as so unhirable that we could not trust her with a live mic. She called Joe Scarborough MSNBC's favorite white boy. What kind of racially charged insult is that? accused him of plotting against her career. Quote, there's an unspoken rule that you're not supposed to disagree with Joe, and I didn't get that memo. Doesn't provide any evidence that Scarborough had anything to do with her dismissal. It was a battle to cover things I wanted to talk about. The network's philosophy was Trump, Trump, Trump. They wanted me to be part of the echo chamber. I wanted to cover things like inhumane treatment in prisons something that disproportionately impacts my community, mental health among black men, the erasure of Afro-Latinos in the Latino community, uh, land battles among indigenous Native Americans, black farmers reaching Latino voters. Well, I mean, she's entitled to her view on that, but that's all just covering issues important, or more important, I guess I would say, to the, to the minority community. She said MS executives would speak to her in the most condescending ways and try to explain to her how news works. I had my intelligence question. And then she goes on to say that the network didn't support her when these controversies would arise. They planted hit pieces in the press. She says this of MSNBC. The president of the network began a bizarre, unhinged tour where she was on damage control. I don't know what she was trying to do. Megyn Kelly had called Tiffany Cross the most racist person on television. But MSNBC, or at least a source at NBC, at the time of the cancellation, told the Daily Beast that Cross had repeatedly crossed the line with her rhetoric and failed to adhere to the network's editorial standards. And I think there was something to that because she kept, saying things that were racially inflammatory, and they would talk to her, and then she would do it again. She wanted to do what she wanted to do. Well, I don't know if they wanted her to be part of the Trump echo chamber or not. Clearly, that's a ratings winner for MSNBC, but now she's lashing out. And finally, 
And a quick postscript. I told you last week that the Baltimore Sun, which had been owned by a hedge fund, sold it to a local guy, David Smith, who just happens to be the executive chairman of Sinclair Television, but buying the paper with his own money. Well, he had a staff meeting for three hours, according to the Baltimore Banner, which obviously opposes him as the new owner, in which Smith told employees he only read the paper four times in the past few months, insulted the quality of their journalism, encouraged them to emulate a TV station owned by Sinclair. And let's see, what are the details here? Well, uh, back in 2018, Smith told New York Magazine he considered print, mag- uh, print media excuse me, so left-wing as to be meaningless dribble. Asked whether he stood by those comments at the staff meeting. Smith said yes. Asked if he felt that way about the contents of his newspaper. Smith said, in many ways, yes. The Sun, by the way, won a Pulitzer for local reporting in 2020. Several times throughout the meeting, he said, he has no idea what you do. Now, how would you feel if that was your new boss, uh, who has a very definite view of print media, has propaganda and garbage, and he just bought your paper. Well, I hope you had a good weekend, everyone. I dived right in, so I didn't get a chance to say that at the top. If you're interested in any of our Media Buzz segments, many of them are online, including my interview with Brett Baer about his uh, pull aside with Donald Trump, including Shannon Bream of Fox News Sunday, who was a guest from New Hampshire. We talked about why the primary seemed to be a bust, lacking the usual excitement. And tomorrow is primary day, so I think I'll probably show up for work tomorrow and talk to you then with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.